We've also are um, off YouTube. I've been banned by YouTube again. We hope to be able to get back on next week. Um, they banned again for election misinformation. And again, for the sermon I did two years ago now, on January 17th, 2021. So I guess they can't beat me up enough on that. So I, I'm going to tell Handel, I want us to put j6truth.org and every detail box of every sermon on YouTube. Um, so everybody can see the truth about January 6th and stick it in the face of YouTube for their, yeah, banning us once again, crippling our viewership. But we still are on Rumble today, thanks be to God, so people are able to go there and hear the sermon. But I'm going to be continuing today in the book of Second Chronicles. So why don't you open up to Second Chronicles chapter 15. Second Chronicles chapter 15. Often on the first Sunday of a new year, I will preach a sermon entitled The State of the Nation. And I don't think I've done that for the last couple of years. I think Jason might have did one of those during those times on the state of the nation. But anyways, when I consider the state of the nation, I see something that's in an awful condition. I think most Americans do. And when I look at the condition of our nation and I work back, how did we get here? I always end up at the pulpits. Always. And the churchmen. If the churchmen and the pulpits were faithful to Christ, things would be far different. So in this state of the nation sermon, I actually want to address the churchmen and give them lessons from the book of Second Chronicles chapter 15 and 16 that will help them regarding their duties to the civil authorities. Something that they can build from and build upon, build with. And as I was going through chapter 15 and 16, which is dealing with King Asa, remember we were introduced to him in chapter 14? He was one of the righteous kings. It just led me to do this sermon. <laughs> so the title of my sermon this morning is The Duty of Churchmen to the Civil Authorities. And we're going to go through all the verses of 15 and 16. The Duty of Churchmen to the Civil Authorities. So why don't we stand up, we'll have a word of prayer, and... I'll declare what God's given me to proclaim. Father, we rejoice in you and thank you for this time that we have with you here together as a congregation. And we ask that you pour out your spirit, that you do a great work that will be forever different, O Lord. Lord, equip each one to do the work of the ministry. And Lord, Use the churchmen in this nation to call this country to repentance and to faithfulness to you. Lord, remove those hirelings that need to be taken and restore faithful men within the pulpits of America. Be glorified here and help me to set forth that which you've given me to declare. May your Holy Spirit work in the hearts of men. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So I want to begin by reading the first seven verses of chapter 15 
The scripture reads, Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa, and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in, but great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. Many scholars believe he's referring to the time of the judges. Verse 7, but you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Here in these first seven verses is the first of seven lessons found within these two chapters, chapter 15 and 16. Seven lessons for churchmen regarding their duties to the civil authorities. Here we see the first lesson. Here we see Azariah, a churchman of that day, a prophet, speaking to King Asa, instructing, exhorting, warning, and encouraging King Asa. And this is the history of churchmen in the Old Testament. Remember my sermons in the book of Micah? And this is the history of churchmen in the New Testament. Remember my sermons from the book of Acts? Churchmen have a duty to instruct, exhort, warn, and encourage the magistrates. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 here states that, And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Here we see Asa being exhorted and warned by Azariah. Look at verse 3. For a long time Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. Here we see Azariah instructing King Asa, instructing is another aspect of the duty of churchmen to the civil authorities, instructing them in the law and word of God. And look at verse 7. He says, But you be strong, and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Here we see Azariah encouraging King Asa. So the duty of the civil authorities, the duty of the churchmen to the civil authorities, is to instruct them to warn them, to exhort them, to encourage them. That is their duties. About a week and a half ago, I was in the coffee shop over in Hartford with my wife, Clara. And while I was there with her, someone came up and tapped me on the shoulder, and it was a state representative. So I said hi to him. He said hi to me. And he said, I got to tell you, I'm getting massive push and pressure from the Republican leadership to go along with this bill they're going to be bringing to abort babies conceived in rape and incest. So he was sharing with me some of the pressure he was getting and the push. And when he was done, I looked at him and I said, well, let me give you a little pushback. If you vote 
to murder those innocent children, one day you will stand before Christ and have to give an account. And his face was, whoa. And you could feel the power of God's conviction there. It was, it was strong. I then instructed him in the law of God and in innocent blood. Told him his duty was to uphold God's law regarding the prohibition of murder and the protection of these little ones, and that innocent blood brings destruction and judgment upon the land. And then I also encouraged him. I said, you've always stood true. You've always been against any of this murder. And you need to stand true now. This is what churchmen do. And that little three-minute interaction with this state representative, I warned, I exhorted, I encouraged, I instructed. Amen? This is the duty of churchmen to the civil authorities. It's extremely important that it get done. So the first lesson to churchmen is, churchmen have a duty to instruct, exhort, warn, and encourage the civil authorities, whether the churchman be an apologist, a missionary, pastor, teacher, elder, evangelist, churchmen of all kinds. This is the whole history of God's people, Israel, and the whole history of Christianity, and yet it is the great failure of our age. We have abandoned the magistrates, and that is why churchmen and Christians must do mission to the magistrates. The second lesson is found, again, in verse 7. And the second lesson to the churchman is this. When you see a magistrate, a civil authority that fears God and wants to do right by him, you need to invest particular time into him. You must, as Azariah has done here, take the time to instruct, exhort, warn, and encourage him. Do understand, good magistrates aren't falling off trees. They are a rarity. And when you find them, you must put particular time into them. A good magistrate can get beaten down. He can become forlorn. He tries to do right, and yet not only do the wicked oppose his reforms, but those who claim to love the Lord. Those he expects to be on his side oppose his efforts try to hamper his efforts. He needs to hear those words, like what Azariah said here to Asa, but you be strong and do not let your hands be weak. Continue on. The Lord will reward your faithfulness and perseverance. Amen. We are in a battle for the souls of men. We are in a battle between good and evil. We are in a battle between the thinking of this world and Christian thought. Remember Moses when he was in battle in Exodus chapter 17? Here's what the scripture says. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. We must encourage the hands of the magistrates to not become weak but to do right by God in accordance with his law and word. Verse 8 teaches us the third lesson to the churchmen regarding their duty to the civil authorities. Verse 8 says, And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, 
he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. The third lesson regarding their duty to the civil authorities is, Azariah faithfully instructed, exhorted, warned, and encouraged Asa, and do you see the result? Do you see the result? Asa took courage, removed the idols in the land, and pointed men to worship the Lord. When the churchmen and pulpits are faithful to the Lord, evil is confronted and routed in the land. Now, many of the idols at this time in Judah had to do with sexual immorality, including the filth of homosex. The parallel passage to this passage in 1 Kings is 1 Kings 15, 11-13, which reads, Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David, and he banished the perverted persons. That would be the Sodomites. He banished the perverted persons from the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. Also, he removed Makkah, his grandmother, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah, a phallic symbol. And Asa cut down her obscene image and burned it by the book, Brook Kidron. The magistrates have a duty to suppress evil, even the evil of homosex, which is a crime under God's law. When the magistrates do right before God, good consequences are seen in the land. When the churchmen and pulpits are faithful to the Lord, evil is confronted and routed in the land. All this evil stopped because of a faithful churchman named Azariah, who talked to the civil authority, King Asa. And King Asa did right in the sight of God. Verse 9 states, Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with him from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, for they came over to him in great numbers from Israel, talking about the northern kingdom, when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. This teaches the fourth lesson to the churchmen when they do their duty to the civil authorities. The people who want to do right by the Lord have a place to rally and coalesce. They have a righteous magistrate to whom they can rally, and they have a theological area to which they can coalesce. In my last sermon, you may recall I talked about Scott Walker, our former governor, and how when homosex marriage was coming down the pike, I wrote to him and told him that if he'll take a stand against the federal government and the filth of homosex marriage, people will rally to him. Not only will he be reelected as governor, but he will probably get elected as president because he was running for president. Instead, he listened to the worldly wise men, his Republican strategists, who told him to stay away from that issue. Had he done right, the people would have rallied to him. I know they would have. And now, because he didn't, that was years ago now, the evil has seeped further down in the fabric of society. And men are more decadent and degraded in their thinking because of the failure of the magistrate to do right in the sight of God and the failure, too, of most churchmen giving him a pass and not calling him to account so he would do right. 
Verses 10 through 13 say this. So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the 15th year of the reign of Asa, and they offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had brought. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, and whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Yeah, there's some intense reformation and revival taking place here. All this evil stuff has been censored, taken to task, removed, toppled. People are pointed against to worship of the Lord. And here we see in verses 10 through 13, God's law being upheld. This passage is not saying someone was going around playing the thought police, checking to see if someone was seeking the Lord or not in the privacy of their life and home. That's not what it's talking about here when it talks about this matter. Whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was put to death. Rather, this was God's law being upheld as revealed in Deuteronomy, mark it down in your notes, chapter 17, verses 2 through 5. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 2 through 5, which states, quote, If there is found among you within any of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, a man or a woman who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God in transgressing his covenant, who has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or moon or any of the host of heaven, which I have not commanded, and it is told you and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently. That's the first thing you do, you investigate. The whole Me Too movement, yeah, you're guilty till you prove yourself innocent. No, the first thing you do is you investigate. That's what Christian people do, whether it's true or not. And there had to be two or three witnesses, as it later says in this passage. Passage goes on and says, And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination has been committed in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has committed that wicked thing and shall stone to death that man or woman with stones. Unquote. What this is dealing with is if someone wanted to openly impugn the Lord, this is how it was to be handled. And this is what the people were covenanting with the Lord to do. This was not a witch hunt. This was not a McMartin case hunt or a Wenatchee, Washington hunt. This wasn't a Me Too movement, matriarchal hell type nonsensical action. If they were openly worshiping other gods, they were to take them to task, hold a trial, and if it was true, put them to death. Verses 14 through 16 say, Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Amen? And then look what it says. Also he removed Makkah, the mother of Asa, the king, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image, then crushed and burned it by the brook Kidron. 
but the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. Here we see the fifth lesson for churchmen in their duty to the civil authorities. As I said in the last sermon regarding this matter, just because Asa brought reforms didn't mean it was all peaceful, calm, quiet, and compliant. It never is. There's times in history where evil gets the upper hand. You're living in one right now. And there's time when good has the upper hand. And most evil is suppressed. But even when there's those times where good has the upper hand and evil is suppressed, there's always those people who don't like good law, who want to do evil, who want to legalize evil. And now we live in a nation that has legalized evil. That calls evil good and calls good evil. That's the insane asylum you're living in right now. Everyone didn't just go along with the reforms of Asa. Read history. Never do all go along with reforms. There are always evil people about. There is always a battle between good and evil going on. Always a battle between Christianity and the forces of the world. There are always evil people about, but the magistrates must suppress their evil. Hence, the need for the churchmen to always instruct, exhort, warn, and encourage the magistrates. Amen. So having said that, that the churchmen have a duty to instruct, exhort, warn, and encourage the magistrates, let me say that there will be a letter going from the elders of Mercy Seat here to Robin Voss, to the Republican caucus, and to the Wisconsin legislature to instruct them, exhort them, warn them, and encourage them regarding this matter of wanting to murder preborn babies here in Wisconsin. Whatever preborn babies they want to murder in Wisconsin. Those conceived in rape, those conceived in incest, those conceived mere out of leisure and decadence. Understand it has long been the history of Christianity for pastors to speak to the issues and incidences of the day. As historian Will Durant wrote in his work, The Reformation, he said, quote, in Protestantism, the preachers became journals of news and opinion. They told their congregation the events of the week or day, and religion was then so interwoven with life that nearly every occurrence touched the faith or its ministers. They denounced the vices and errors of their parishioners and instructed the government as to its duties and faults, unquote. Today we find ourselves in a nation that is filled with lost people who live in rebellion to the Lord. As churchmen, we believe that God's word speaks to all matters of life. We also believe it is our calling and duty to speak his word not only to our own congregation, but also to the citizens and the magistrates of our nation. They need to hear God's position on any matter and all matters. They need to hear from the churchmen regarding God's word and ways. They need us to confront evil ideologies, to resist and rebuke tyranny, and work to topple the idols of our culture and nation. That's the duty of churchmen. Such a letter that we'll be spending, or such letters from the elders, not only gives churchmen a voice in the state of Wisconsin, 
but also provides all Christians an opportunity to take the letter, learn from it, and hold their magistrates accountable to it. And then hopefully other Christians can make these letters known to their pastors, and they might do the same. And that would be the sixth lesson to churchmen. Write letters or send resolutions to the magistrates. Chapter 15 ends with these words. It says, He, talking about Asa, also brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated, that he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils, and there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. God blessed them for their faithfulness. And that is one of the things I told that state representative at the coffee house. I said, your compromise, God will not bless that. Do right in his sight, he will bless that. Now let's look at chapter 16. And in chapter 16, we will look at our seventh and final duty of churchmen to the civil authorities. So first let's read verses 1 through 6, which kind of sets the stage for what the seventh and final lesson is of the churchmen to the civil authorities. It says, In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, that would be the northern kingdom, came up against Judah, which is the southern kingdom, and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded king Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Eon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah, which Basha had used for building, and with them he built Geba and Mizpah. So, remember in the past, Asa had trusted the Lord when there was a million Ethiopians And not only did they have the Ethiopians, but they had another group of men, I forget which ones they were, that were helping them against Asa. And Asa made his great declaration of trust in God and won the battle. Here he's doing something completely different. He's an older guy, and he's doing something completely different. Here he decides to look to Syria. He doesn't look to the Lord. He looks to Syria, their enemy, Israel's enemy, in order to get the northern kingdom off his back. And look what happens. And at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. In other words, God was going to use Asa to not only defeat the northern kingdom led by Basha, but he was also going to use him to defeat the Syrians too, both being enemies of the southern kingdom. That's what, that's what he just made known to him. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim, there's the other, not a huge army, 
Were the Ethiopians in the Lubum not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Remember, they had over 300 chariots, million men. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on you shall have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison. For he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people, or he oppressed the people at that time. Here we see that verses 7 through 10 reveal the final duty demonstrated by the churchmen of Asa's day. And this is the final duty. Churchmen may have to tell the magistrates something they need to hear rather than what they want to hear. Churchmen may have to tell the magistrates something they need to hear rather than what they want to hear. And in America, that's often the case. You may have to tell the magistrates something they need to hear rather than what they want to hear. And... It could go to your hurt. That's the seventh lesson. It could go to your hurt. Like, Hanani ends up in prison. By the way, this is the first time we saw royal persecution of a prophet, although it happened many times subsequent to that. This is the first time a king threw a prophet in prison, as revealed in Holy Writ. John Knox said it this way. He said, quote, Let a thing here be noted that the prophet of God sometimes may teach treason against kings, and yet neither he nor such as obey the word spoken in the Lord's name by him offend God. Unquote. Knox went on to say, But hereof be assured that all is not lawful nor just that is statute by civil laws. Neither yet is everything sin before God, which ungodly persons allege to be treason. Unquote. There are times, churchmen, when you need to be faithful to God in declaring to the magistrates what they need to hear rather than what they want to hear, and it could go to your hurt. It happened to Hanani here. Remember Jeremiah? He was thrown in prison by the civil authorities. Remember the Apostle Paul? He was thrown in prison by the civil authorities. Remember John Bunyan? He was thrown in prison by the civil authorities. Remember the churchmen who stood with the Cherokees in Georgia in the early 1800s? Yeah, they were thrown in prison by the civil authorities. And remember what it says in the Hall of Faith chapter of Scripture, Hebrews 11. Here's what it says in verses 23 through 40. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy their lattes and the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked 
to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again." Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. This is what you have at times when you're faithful to the Lord. And tell the magistrates and the nations of men what they need to hear rather than what they want to hear. This is what your reward, this is what awaits you. And it's all in the Hall of Faith chapter, Hall of Fame of Faith chapter. And then it says, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. May Christ be praised. To be faithful and true to Christ, churchmen, you may have to tell the magistrates something they need to hear rather than what they want to hear. And yes, that can even happen to us here in America. And it may go to your hurt when you do so. Remember what it says in verse 9? It says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Amen? In other words, no problem can arise for God's people of which the Lord is not aware and from which he cannot deliver them. But we must honor him. And we must honor his law. Many want to trust in the Republicans, even willing to vote for Republicans who openly impugn the law of God regarding murder and sodomy. They have put their trust in man, not the Lord. Again, repentance is needed, and repentance begins with honoring God's law. Look at verses 11 through 14 as we continue on here. It says, Note that the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel, and in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe, yet in his disease he did not seek the Lord but the physicians. 
And the Hebrew makes it clear, he only sought the physicians. He only sought the physicians. And God took him to task for that. Just as he had forgotten to trust in God regarding Basha and the war that was impending upon him there, even in this personal thing of having diseased feet, he did not seek the Lord, but only the physicians. It says, so Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients, prepared in a mixture of ointments. They made a very great burning for him. Now, when I first read this, a very great burning for him, I thought, wow, did they cremate him? No, they did not cremate him. This was a fire that was made, we know historically, in honor of a great leader. He was buried, laid in these spices and ointments. That's important to know, because when you look at the children of Israel and you look at almost the entire history of Christianity up until recently, the Hebrews and the Christians always buried their dead. It was the pagans who cremated their dead. There's a distinct difference between the believers and the unbelievers, even in death. Your body was viewed as the tent in which God's spirit resided, had a certain respect to be given to it, and a certain honor, sacredness. And so we've always buried our dead. In closing, churchmen have a duty to instruct, exhort, warn, and encourage the civil authorities. And listen to me now, all Christians have a duty to do this also. You could actually take the title of my sermon and scratch into it, the duty of churchmen, and then scratch in, and all Christians, to the civil authorities. Repentance is needed in this hour. The tyrants are unleashed upon our nation because we are wicked people with laws that impugn the law of God, and God has justly unleashed the tyrants upon us. We have not honored his law. We have impugned it. And when we have done this, we must repent. God has unleashed the tyrants upon us because of being a rebellious people who impugns his law, But that does not mean that we do not resist their evil and speak and stand against it. What it means is that we acknowledge that his judgment upon our nation is just. And we must repent ourselves. And we must call men to repentance and the governments of men to repentance. And it means we must humble ourselves, purify ourselves, Pursue holiness and draw close to the Lord. Repentance begins with honoring the law of God. Let's stand up and close in a word of prayer.